Welcome back to episode 52 of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm Victory Clafter, the producer. This week is a conversation Brian had with Anne Winblad with Hummer Winblad Venture Partners. Anne has witnessed many eras of innovation, from pre-PC to artificial intelligence. Hummer Winblad has been incredibly successful in their investing, especially in places outside of Silicon Valley. If you too want to be successful outside of Silicon Valley, don't miss the premier event for corporate startup innovation outside of it. The Inside Outside Innovation Summit happening June 19th through the 21st will provide you with the tools and connections to jumpstart your business or innovation arm. 100 startups, $1,000 pitch contest, and dozens of speakers will fill the two days in Lincoln, Nebraska. Find out more and find your ticket at theiosummit.com. Now, let's get started. One of the stats that I heard is your first fund, I think eight of the 16 that you invested in went to IPO. And that's just an incredible track record. So, Anne, you've been in the, the venture space for a long time. You were a software entrepreneur before that. So you've seen it from both sides of the table. What have you seen that's different? Some of the new trends that you're seeing now that make it significantly different uh, than what you saw 20 years ago when you started in the software space. First of all, when we um, started out in 89, we used to have to go out and convince people to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> and now I'm happy to say that there are schools of entrepreneurship around the country it is a career path for folks, and entrepreneurs are more come to us than we have to go find them. We would scour campuses and say, why don't you think about starting a company? And globally, it is really a successful career path for many people. Secondarily, we would have to wait a long time for innovation cycles. Uh, I started my career at the Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis, and there were mainframes there. I had never seen one until I got there. Uh, but we, they were just starting to bring smaller computers in. Uh, I left the Federal Reserve Bank in 1976 and started a software company the same year as Microsoft. Oracle started a year later. Apple started that year because it was the birth of the PC. And it was a really long time. And it wasn't until 89 that we started seeing client-server uh, which really allowed distributed computing to start. And there was another five or six years, and we suddenly saw the commercial Internet start to appear in the late 90s. And then there were a few more years, and we really started to seeing the birth of multiple innovation cycles, mm-hmm. open source. Uh, people started building things on what was called the LAMP stack, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, and because they could get free software. And it wasn't, it was only 10 years ago that Amazon launched the AWS, which is a very small amount of time. We think it was, what, the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone, which is really the, the, the device as we know it today versus just a phone that we carried around. So mobile, cloud, and now we've seen uh, the real era of smart data. Again, open source playing a big role with things like TensorFlow and Facebook and Google competing with each other, handing out open source pieces to attract developers to their platform. So we've got multiple cycles going simultaneously for the first time, which is an opportunity field for entrepreneurs, a real challenge field for enterprises. 
Yeah, it really does feel like there's something a little bit different than some of the other cycles. I mean, the speed in which you're seeing this disruption, you know, the access, the tools that you can access markets that, that you couldn't do before, the, the price of technology. I, I used to work building websites when it cost $2 million to build a big enterprise yeah. website, and now you can do that in a weekend and $5. And so that's changed quite dramatically. How's that affected your role as like a venture capitalist? The role of venture capitalists, uh, you've been an investor before yourself. So uh, as I said earlier today, my job is to audition the future. And there's a lot of additions, uh, <laughs> which is great. It, we see a lot of products. Uh, when you have this massive playing field of both entrepreneurs and technology choices and the combinatorials are exponential, it's harder to find a real co- company opportunity. Big markets are hard to, fi- hard to find, and when you find them, you seize on them. Uh, and it does take a while to build the companies to really land the larger market opportunity. So I would say that we see a lot more products these days, like 10, 20 times more. But effectively, it's harder to find companies that scale to this platform level of winning. You talked a little bit in your panel earlier today talking about how uh, it's not the technology that wins always. It's, it's really, can you build a business around it? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we're investors in a company called MuleSoft uh, in San Francisco. We were the lead, lead A-round investor there. The company came to us when an industry analyst says, look, I'm looking at Oracle, IBM, Tibco, all the integration platforms in this company with some sort of donkey name is showing up. <laughs> and, you know, it's some guy in Malta. And they're just downloading the software and building their platforms on top of it. It's the next generation integration platform. Now, when someone says something like that to me, I want to meet that entrepreneur who's in Malta, who (laughs) paired with an entrepreneur in San Francisco. So we funded that team where there were five developers, a few in Buenos Aires and two in Germany. Today the company has 800 employees and is has a leading position in the next generation integration based on APIs and integration of everything, uh, applications, devices, et cetera. What happened here is the lag time I spoke about earlier between client-server, where which was the birth of WebSphere, WebLogic, Tibco, the other integration platforms. You know, there wasn't enough to... There, there was no seismic event to seize them. Suddenly there were multiple seismics. Well, secondarily, the integration of thousands of SaaS applications and billions of devices. So it was on chain for a long time, and suddenly it was totally different. And that, that is the challenge to be an investor is how do you find the time of that tipping point? Well, even things like when you talk about uh, enterprise software in general and, and- how enterprise software used to be bought. You know, the CTO would kind of come down and say, well, let's look at a Gartner report and figure out which one we want to purchase, and we'll mass push that out to everybody. Now you've got these pockets of software components that are being bought by, you know, the marketing department or the sales department and then being kind of pushed up through the organization. What are some of those things um, that you're seeing that are fundamentally affecting the way enterprise software businesses are built? Well, we we have a lot of innovation going on in the messaging space. Um, Most of us are still sitting at computers using, you know, email. And, you know, that's going to look primeval in a (laughs) short period of time. And we're seeing all sorts of competition going on there, you know, from 
things like Snapchat, which most people don't know what it is in, in an enterprise. They're still trying to figure out what that company does, you know, to messaging systems by Microsoft and, you know, Facebook and others. Secondarily, you've got 3 million people today talking to a device called an Echo and saying, Alexa, you know, from adults to children. And that's frictionless AI. It happens to be natural language language processing, not machine learning or whatever, although it's getting there. And Amazon has thousands of people working on the AI part of it to enhance that. It's likely that AI will be the interface to a lot of things. We're already seeing bots and virtual assistants, and those are pretty primeval. You know, I don't use Siri at all anymore. It drives me crazy. But, you know, Microsoft's got voice impact. The, the dynamics of competition are changing that rapidly. Same as the cloud. Amazon is competing with Azure. Google has hired in Diane Green to drive the enterprise. So when we look at how early we are in cloud, in AI, in big data, let alone smart data, in the interfaces that will be created by those combinations, the game is on. And most people don't have half this stuff in their playbook or very many of their assets on the cloud. So corporate venture seems to be getting much more active as well. I think I read some statistic where over half of the the deals, there's a corporate venture partner somewhere uh, involved. So you're seeing corporations, I guess, I think looking externally to startups as a way to potentially combat innovation or to understand and to play in that particular space. What are you you seeing from your side? You mentioned earlier that... uh, Software companies go and try to sell stuff to companies. Nobody can do that anymore. You know, you can't sell functions and features anymore because this is not mystical anymore. So customers are buyers, and customers are very, very sophisticated. The role of the CIO has been elevated dramatically. IT is no longer just plumbing and productivity and lowering cost of ownership. It is strategy. And it also means that the software companies that we invest in have to have partnerships early with industry. And these partnerships are, are frequently forged with these innovation centers or innovation labs where the software is put through their rigors early, the scaling of the software is tested very, very early, and that's really helping our innovators as well as the enterprises. Because this partnership, if you fail the first time through, you're out. So everybody's building better product, especially product that really does not require heavy lifting to be installed. You know, Amazon really set the stage that this stuff has to be accessible and usable without human intervention. Uh, And that changes the quality level highly. But I really do value these innovation groups within these companies. To be truthful, uh, and I always try to be as truthful as possible, that the expertise industry by industry in the investor community is low. We are generalists. And the technologists that come to us that want to disrupt an industry, for the most part, they are looking at a different lens, and there's lots of stuff they don't know. Mm-hmm. So most of the disruptors end up hiring from that industry, partnering with that industry. Airbnb is a partner with many people now because they have a pricing engine that other people don't. They have an AI engine that other people don't. They have released AI product, right. open-source product to the marketplace. So they have developers coming on their platform. So they're becoming a broader ecosystem. They're a very, very good example and a very good company. Not one of our investments, but a very good company. 
So you mentioned ecosystems. You mentioned you, you've invested in a company that started in Malta. That's the other kind of trend that we're seeing is that these innovations are, are popping up everywhere and these startup ecosystems are popping up everywhere. How does that change the game uh, from a venture perspective? And what are you seeing uh, as far as innovation popping up everywhere? Well, I do see that, speaking apart from technology innovation, that we have always funded companies that have some global dynamic right away, unintentionally. In our first fund, we funded uh, you know, four Israeli brothers uh, for a company called Scopus that built the first CRM system, acquired by Siebel, became Siebel CRM. And those four brothers have started five or six other companies. So this has always been a melting pot more than people think. It's not just people that were born and raised in Silicon Valley. In fact, read the names of the CEOs or founders of companies. So we're very concerned about you know some of the immigration thoughts from our country's leadership. And you live in a town with a great university, which is a melting pot as well, in the center of our country in Lincoln, Nebraska. Without that, we don't have the kind of lens we need. The biggest consumers of e-commerce are Chinese. Some of the best coders in the world could be in Estonia. Where did Bitcoin come from? We don't know. Uh, but there's a bunch of 19-year-olds, especially another one today, with you know claiming that he's the, he's the one. So the world has been flattened for technology for quite some time. That was one of the Internet effects that we got, is everybody was on the same common platform. So you're a Midwestern girl. What would you say for the the next generation of of Midwesterners, uh, if they want to be a part of the, the new wave of innovation, how can they best kind of tackle that? I'm from uh, the Minneapolis area, uh, which is not that much different than Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, We have a high concentration of Fortune 500 companies there. And I do have to say today that, and I'm on the board of the University of St. Thomas, which is uh, an outstanding university, about 12,000 students in St. Paul, Minnesota. When I talk to a graduate and they've got a job offer at United Healthcare or a job offer at at a startup, I bet money that they would take that job at United Healthcare, and that is a fantastic company and an innovator in itself. As we've seen, they've set aside their own separate division of data and applications. But the entrepreneurial path is not as natural. One of the great supporters of the University of Nebraska, uh, Jeff Rakes, introduced me about eight years ago to a little company called Huddle. A few guys, Jeff's a big football fan, who wouldn't be with the Nebraska <laughs> Cornhuskers? And he said, these guys are onto something. I just want you to see it. And it took about eight years for them to suddenly break out. And when they broke out, they broke big. They won the the football championships of of entrepreneurship with big funding, big customers, and and a big footprint of value in the sports industry in video. It takes companies like Huddle to stay the course, to say, hey, we could have jobs at, you know, Many great companies in the Omaha or Nebraska region, another home of great companies. Or we could just, you know, take entrepreneurs' salaries and because we believe in a big vision. Mm-hmm. And what it takes is really entrepreneurs coming back and showing that, hey, this is a career path. All of that has to happen. We're the ecosystem of supporting entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, it'll be different in Silicon Valley all the time. Uh, it'll be different in Omaha than in Minneapolis. But, you know, it is, it may look to you as an entrepreneur that it's like spinning straw into gold. It is. 
but the gold is there. And this has been a huge pleasure for me to talk to you. Thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation Podcast. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. You can find Anne's contact info in the show notes. Take a minute and tell us your thoughts on iTunes or on Twitter at The IO Podcast. Follow Summit updates at theiosummit.com. Until next time, go out and innovate.